women get together, magic happens. When women get together, anything can happen. And it blows my mind every time what happens when women get together. This is Next Stop Now, a show about experiments in repurposing life with stories of people who have changed their lives to change the world. I'm Jocelyn Apicello. Next Stop Now is a production of the Ecological Citizens Project. I'm one of the co-founders. Part of what we do is try to learn about different ways people approach work and life. I was introduced to this podcast episode storyteller, Anu Anandaraja, via a good friend in my town. We networked together in the Highlands Collaborative, a group of female business owners and organization leaders living in the Mid-Hudson Valley who care about supporting each other's ventures and lives. When I was able to have a brief phone conversation with Anu, we immediately connected on several levels. I think most importantly about how essential it is to listen to your heart and soul and make a change in your life that is calling you. Anu is a busy woman, a doctor, professor, consultant, activist, and now leader of her impressive global organization, Women Together. I took a ride into New York City one day this spring to meet her in the apartment she's currently couch surfing in to hear more about how she made a major move in her life. I hope you feel as inspired as I do. Women Together is an organization whose mission is to empower women and specifically grassroots women, so women living at community level, mostly in areas that are underserved or underdeveloped, and to empower them by bringing them together. So really looking at how to have women's grassroots groups connect with each other, share skills, share knowledge, and form networks so that they can build solidarity. So Women Together started about two years ago, and we started in Malawi. And actually, you know, I've spent about 20 years now of my career working in global health and traveling to many, many, many places, uh, setting up mostly programs for women and children. And in those travels met many women's groups, and mostly women working or living in communities that were very, very far off the beaten track. So not communities that were connected by power, electricity, um, and women living in really difficult conditions and doing amazing things to support their families and to improve their children's health and education and so on. And so I worked a lot in East Africa, so mostly Mozambique, um, some time in Malawi, some time in Uganda. Um, I also worked in India. And out of that work, that really grew the desire to start Women Together because I met all these amazing women. I was like, they need to meet each other. Like, so I was having the benefit of meeting each of these groups and learning their skills and being able to transfer their skills to other women's groups. And in the end, it was just like, well, why is there no support for these women to actually get on the road and meet each other and teach each other directly and build solidarity that way? Because it just seemed that so much also of our, the backwardness of being a woman is that we're isolated from other women and that we... Um, rely on structures and patriarchal structures more than we rely on each other. So Women Together was really also just an attempt to have women see each other, see themselves reflected in each other, value each other, value themselves and start to move together. I was interested in the globe from a very early age and I had a vision that I wanted to be doing 
something that involved being in different places around the world. And so I tried to find a career that would fit that. And so I was like, I'm going to be a journalist, I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to be a marine biologist, I'm going to be a naturalist. And my parents, who are both doctors, convinced me that the only way I was going to get anywhere was to be a doctor. And so I finally drank the Kool-Aid and <laughs> went to medical school, but my entire vision of medical school was that I wanted to do global work. And specifically, actually, that I wanted to work in Africa. I don't know why, but I, I just had this feeling that that's where I wanted to be. And so in the process of becoming a doctor, I got kind of sidetracked, as you do, and developed ideas about myself that maybe I hadn't grown up with about who I had to be and how much money I had to have and the kind of status I needed and all the things that I needed to be in order to do my work in Africa. And so I trained as a doctor and then I got my master's in public health and my tropical medicine degrees and all the other accolades that I thought I needed and got a job at a top academic medical center. Um, and then found myself 30 years later finally in, in Africa working with programs for women and children. And then the last few years has just been this kind of process of deconstruction, of trying to unlearn a lot of the things that I learned in Western medicine, in an academic medical center. And a lot of those things were things that separate me from the women I now work with. You know, my education, the language I speak, the status that, you know, I've been trained to carry myself with. And in order to start Women Together, I, you know, had to walk away from my job at Mount Sinai. And that was, that was a hard walk because I had my family and my friends, and specifically my family, just unable to understand, like, why would you leave a job at Mount Sinai? You have everything you need you're doing the work you want to do in Africa with the support of Mount Sinai. Why would you do that? And it was very hard to explain to people that with all the support that came from Mount Sinai, there was also an ownership of who I was and how I was able to express myself and what I had to bring back from my work in Africa in order to validate that. And then there was also a growing sense of a division between the life that I was leading here in New York City with its money and its status and its consumerism and its everything that it entails and the work that I was trying to accomplish in Africa, which was really about equalizing and justice and building the social capital of women. And so it just became more and more obvious that I w there were certain things I would have to leave behind. A job at Mount Sinai and everything that came with that was one of them. Um, another thing that I needed to leave behind in the end was my apartment in New York. And so in the end, I, you know, just recently sold my apartment. And again, it was like the absolute horror of my family. Like, why would anyone sell a piece of New York real estate? Like, you hang on to that thing for 30 years and you'll be a millionaire. And it's like, yeah, but for that 30 years, I'm a slave to this apartment. And... The, the, there's no freedom in that. So, yeah, this this process of transforming from, like, the New York City doctor to the person who's trying to create women together and be a woman in solidarity with other women has meant divesting gradually and painfully many things. But I w I'd, ra I'd rather be here than anywhere I've been until now. 
When I think about inspiring examples of women coming together and overcoming that isolation, with the women's groups that we work with in Malawi, so far they're groups that live in pretty close vicinity to each other, you know, maybe a 20-minute drive from each other's communities, but because these women, you know, some of them have never seen a motorized vehicle before, they don't ever meet each other. And so there's all these preconceived ideas about each other. In the same way that we in New York have preconceived ideas about each other. So all these ideas about how we won't get on, how we're different from each other, how we won't understand each other's languages, how our life experience isn't the same, we're better than, we're worse than each other. And what we find with Women Together, we, we put together learning exchanges. So groups of women come together for three, five, or seven days. They teach each other skills that they know. And we find that on the first day when those women's groups come together, they're all kind of standoffish. Like there's three groups of women from three different communities. They're all in their own corner of the little area that we're in. They're all wearing kind of clothes that belong to their community. They've got songs that are like their community songs and dances that are their community dances. And they'll all dance together, but it's kind of a dance off in, on the first day. And then by the second and the third day when they're teaching each other, it, it breaks down the barriers. By the second or the third day, they're not showing up in their uniform anymore. They're making up songs that are theirs, all of them together. And by the end of the learning exchange, we can't tell which woman's from which community. They're eating off each other's plates. They're sleeping in each other's laps. There's a feeling of we are together. And they want to sing songs that reflect their togetherness. And that for us is amazing. Like There's nothing compared to that in our experience of having women actually give up their sense of individuality to be a group and to move together. And, and you know, they at the end of those learning exchanges, they say things like that they never understood that women could be teachers and leaders before. They, and they say things like, you know, I always used to tell my daughters to be quiet because there was no place for their voice in the community, and now I will never tell my daughters to be quiet again. Or, you know, I really didn't think it was worth sending my kid to school past grade eight, but now I absolutely know that she must go to school. Um, and just the feeling of, you know, having women say that they feel that they're valuable now from seeing other women and regarding them as valuable and knowing that they're that same thing. It, it always 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 astounds me and inspires me what happens when women just come together and that's why it's women together because that's that's the basicness of it I mean in terms of making a big change in your life I feel like anyone can do it I actually feel that it, that has to be universal right I feel like being able to being able to make a change in your life shouldn't be attached to privilege now definitely I've had enough security in my life leading up to this point that I feel safe to take a risk. And I'm not even being that risky. I'm still living in New York. Like, I still haven't, you know, I'm not taking huge risks. Um, I'm really aware that everything up until this point has made me feel stable and secure enough to do that. I know that I have friends and family that will be there for me if things don't go the way I want them to for a few months or a few years. But I really, I honestly really think that 
being able to make a change is actually probably easier if you've got less to lose. It's like the golden handcuffs kind of analogy, right? It seems that, you know, if you have money and safety and security and a good job and you're a doctor and you have status or whatever, then you have the foundation to be able to make a change. But what I see around me and my colleagues working at Mount Sinai is that those things actually become a huge trap. You become so afraid of life without them life without a partner, life without a job, life without your health insurance, life without your New York City apartment, life without anything. And you don't realize that there's actually a whole other life available outside of that. And maybe if you have less of those trappings, it's you have more flexibility and more freedom to move around, which is kind of what I'm discovering as I start to let some of those things go. I think that if you have an op- if if something is calling you to change your life you absolutely must follow that call it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or anybody you absolutely must whatever stage of life you're at if you hear the call you got to go with it and so I feel like we all have choices that we have to make about how we change our lives and how we change the way that we interact with the world and the choice like now is the time Like, they're actually, the world cannot wait. Women cannot wait. The planet cannot wait. Humanity cannot wait. And it's not easy. And I have had so much support for the changes that I'm making. Um, And so it's like, reach out for community. Find communities of people. Talk to people. No one does this by themselves. No one does this by themselves. And finding community, um, having great teachers, having communities of support, having like the School of Humanity and Awareness in Atlanta, having women's groups, having colleagues, having friends. It is the only way to move forward. Nothing I'm doing, I'm doing on my my own. So the first step is like find other people who've made a change, connect, get strength, get inspiration, and keep moving. That was Anu Anandaraja, founder of Women Together, physician, professor, advocate and activist, and all-around powerful woman, currently living in New York City. But who knows where life will bring her next? Music from this episode is by Poddington Bear. This episode was produced by Isabel Angel. Next Stop Now is a production of the Ecological Citizens Project, which grows citizen-led campaigns to build a more just, healthy, democratic, and sustainable way of life. I'm the co-founder of the ECP, along with my husband, Jason Angel. You can learn more about our mission at ecologicalcitizens.org. Sometimes you just need a little inspiration to take that leap in your life. Maybe you'll find that in these stories. The next stop is now. Now.